Hello and welcome to People, Places, Power with me, Nick Cole. And me, Simon Anhold. In this podcast, we think about issues of international reputation, foreign policy, and a few other things along the way. And today, we're going to talk about the international reputation of Italy. And Italy is a country, Simon, that looms large for both of us, maybe more so for you than me, given that you have married into an Italian family. Uh, I have an association with Italy through um, a long uh, relationship with uh, the public, the cultural diplomacy program at Cattolica Milano, and a shout out to my lovely students from that program. Uh, so we've both studied Italy, spoken in Italy over the years, um, and we have this really interesting uh, case of an international reputation. It was one, as we were planning the season, that we talked about uh, doing, um, but initially it was, I think, uh, something we wanted to talk about because of uh, a positive buzz around Italy. Uh, if you remember back to December, um, 2021, uh, The Economist called Italy country of the year with the most improved reputation. But now, as we're recording this, Italy is in the grip of a political crisis. So um, what do you make of Italy right now and the underlying trends? Well, it's it's true that um, that that Italy, in terms of its international image, has has been going through a period of unusual turbulence. Um, if we look back um, again with the usual provisos at um, Italy's overall ranking in the Nation Brands Index uh, since oh, I don't know two thousand and eight, it has almost invariably hovered around at the same level. Um, in, in the overall ranking, sixth or seventh every year, um, since uh, pretty much since 2008. Um, and that, as our listeners will, will probably have figured out by now, is normal for most countries, that their images really don't change from year to year. But rather surprisingly, um, and rather unexpectedly, in the, in the most recently published edition of the Nation Brands Index, Italy uh, went up, it went up to fourth. It uh, went past the UK, which it's normally underneath, um, and uh, also past uh, France, which um, it's often underneath. So UK probably got something to do with Brexit. Brexit, generally speaking, has made the UK, people, people feel less warm towards the UK, especially in Europe, perhaps exclusively in Europe. France, I'm not quite sure why. Um, there's a perception that France is, is also going through a turbulent patch, and we've spoken about that. But Italy's somehow doing rather well all of a sudden. Um, and it'll be fascinating to see uh, whether that continues in the 22 uh, edition when that comes out in the autumn. I think we could easily pay far too much attention to the current political uncertainty. Um, Mario Draghi attempting to stand down as premier um, and his, uh, his resignation being refused by the president. That feels like a minor earthquake if you're in or near Italy or if you know Italy well. But to the majority of the rest of the world, that's business as usual, isn't it? 
Um, yes, I'm afraid. I'm afraid so. There's all those uh, uh, quips about uh, I- Italians being the one who hopes their child won't grow up to be the president uh, yes. because it's changing so often. Uh, from um, and I, th- I think that a level of um, political instability, in some ways, is already discounted in the reputation of of Italy. Do you yeah. recall, off the top of your head? Whether there's an admiration or for Italian governance, is that one of the strengths of Italy's profile? No, indeed, it's one of the weaknesses. And and year yeah. on year, we can we can see a very very clear picture. You, you'll recall that I've often made the distinction between country images that are um, useful and country images that are decorative. Um, yes. And Italy is a perfect example of uh, the decorative country. So all of the soft assets. Uh, like uh, culture, language, cuisine, landscape, people, history, uh, design, and so forth, um, tend to be very high. And the hard aspects, industry, economy, politics, organization of society, tend to be very low. And that, that set of that pair of cliches is something that most people around the world seem to instinctively use to position countries in their minds. They don't use the term, of course, but generally speaking, most people categorize countries as being either useful and boring and capable and competent and probably prosperous or decorative but unreliable. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Italy, this is, as I've often commented, immensely unfair and also actually quite hard to explain because although people might not know the size of Italy's economy, they certainly are aware of the um, engineering and technology project, products that Italy can make, the, the supercars, uh, just for starters. And that's hard stuff. That's, that's the stuff where Germany and Japan excel. So why not Italy too? And I think the answer is it's just too convenient for people to chuck Italy into that soft basket and say it's all about human values, which is great. It's great for tourism. It's great for cultural relations. It's, it's great for all kinds of things, but it means that people love Italy without respecting it all that much, and it's problematic. Right. Uh, but an, another point that we've made uh, a number of times in, in these conversations is that international reputations form over a very long period of time, and the world has been looking at Italy for a very, very long period of uh, of, of time, um, it's it's as if sort of the, the, the you know that well Italy is one of the great sources of our, our contemporary culture, one of the great reference points of our contemporary culture, and you know, thousands of years of thinking that all roads lead to Rome, uh, and intellectually so often they do. That is a long time to be thinking in a particular way, and even something well established like the reputation of. Mr. Ferrari uh, is is a blink of an eye compared to the the shadow cast by uh, the Roman Empire. Yes, absolutely right. Although, of, of course, one one has to qualify that slightly because, as our listeners will certainly know, the modern Republic of Italy is actually of recent date. Um, it's not a very old country in terms of the modern community of nations. But the thing which people have generally referred to as Italy. Yes, you could trace that back to ancient Rome, although a great many people have argued that the the modern population of Italy is only very distantly related to the population of classical Rome. 
and an awful lot has changed and an awful lot has happened since then. But people like to draw historical lines. And if you want to draw a historical line, you tend to do it topographically, don't you? In the same way. Well, and then you have, on top of that, you have the significance of the city-states and uh, the uh, Renaissance as a uh, historical reference point, um, the power of Florence and later Venice, uh, yeah. and how uh, they, they loom large in our cultural history, you know, you know, across all sorts of aspects. And that's even before you get into you know, 19th century culture and um, grand opera and, and those, those, uh, those traditions, all of yes. which I think is still part of the reflex to uh, admire Italy. Um, not to mention the incredible uh, post-war economic boom that Italy enjoyed um, leading up to and including the, the 60s, which did a great deal to retrieve some of Italy's otherwise poor reputation following the Second World War. So talking about a post-war economic boom, retrieval of a reputation, strength in culture, are there other countries that have that kind of profile? Because I'm, I'm starting to get a picture in my mind. I wonder if you're thinking the same way. Who else has been through this trajectory? Well, in some in some ways, um, Japan is the most interesting comparator to Italy. Very yeah, different countries, of course, but their performance in um, in in terms of their international standing is actually quite similar. They they they've always ranked alongside each other in the Nation Brands Index, and you you can see that in the around about. I I tend to do the historical analysis of the uh, NBI back to. 2008, not back to 2005, because in 2008, we changed the questionnaire slightly. So trend analysis is, is a little bit harder to do. But if we go back to 2008, which is plenty far enough, you'll see that Japan was slightly ahead of Italy. They were fifth and sixth, respectively. And that more or less um, set the stage for the, for, the, for the following 10 or more years. Italy always just trailed a whisker behind um, Japan. But what's started happening more recently since the beginning of the 2010s and, and thereafter is that Japan pulls away and it's beginning to enjoy an ever stronger reputation. And Italy basically remains uh, where it is in, in, in seventh. And if it wasn't for that jump that I mentioned earlier in 2021, um, that would have been uh, the Italy's jump. Um, that would have been the pattern up until now. But interesting thing is that Japan's rise continues to keep it above Italy. So even when Italy manages to, to come in at fourth place in, in 2021, Japan is in at third. So 20, the 2021 Nation Brands Index overall ranking presents an absolutely fascinating picture. In first and third places, you've got Germany and Japan, followed by Italy fourth. <laughs> exactly the opposite of the prediction that one would have made if one had been looking at the community of nations in in uh, in 1945. <laughs> That's fascinating, isn't it? For the components of of uh, Italy's a brand or um, you know, international reputation, you've talked about. Uh, I think politics. I think is not one of the strengths that foreigners perceive. Yes, absolutely, um, and it, it's it's part it's part of the of the cliche of Italy that there is this constant uh, political instability and unrest and and it's true um it's uh, it's it's not a not an invention it's a very unstable what about, what about diaspora 
Um, do people have good experiences of the Italian diaspora? Or would, would that be figured within the, the, the profile of responding to people from the place? Yeah, that, that, that fits into the people uh, category where Italy scores exceptionally high. It's not as fashionable. The Italian people are not as fashionable today in 2022 as, say, Australian or Canadian people are, um, but still very positive. What's quite interesting is um, to, to track the perceptions of the people of a country against the changing profile of their diaspora. So when, for example, the uh, Italian migrants started arriving in the United States or in North America um, in very large numbers at the end of the 19th century, as is so often the case with migrants, they were very poor and they entered North American society right at the bottom and they did the jobs that were available to them, which were mostly somewhat menial. And so, of course, that's where the reputation of Italy uh, is largely born in the United States. But over the years, as other migrant populations from other poorer and poorer countries take over, that has the effect of pushing the perceived status of European migrants upwards. Um, and so, you know, today, if it weren't for fixations with the mafia, um, the, uh, it, Italian nationality would be considered to be um, as upmarket as, say, French. In, in fact, in, in research uh, among Americans on what the ideal ethnic background would be, um, Italian-American is uh, or, or remains uh, uh, the, the, the most, uh, most admired or people's fantasy ethnicity that they would like to have. Huh, I think because of an admiration for, for family values and for, um, uh, I think, for, for style. Um, there, there's a sense that uh, um, a tasteful, a tasteful style is instinctual to people of Italian origin and, uh, and others would, would like to have that, apparently. Yes, and, and that's an, exactly the same pattern in the UK, even though, of course, the migration patterns are very different. There's, there has been forever and ever a mutual fascination between the Italians and, and, and the Brits, the Anglo-Saxons generally. They think that, uh, that the Anglo-Saxon countries are the pinnacle of order and organization and probity uh, and honesty and transparency. Um, and that's all the things that they wish their own country had more of. And the Anglo-Saxon populations see the Italians as having style and warmth and oh, just managing to live properly and enjoy yourself, all the things that deep down mm -hmm. inside the Brits especially feel that they don't have. Yeah, a and lack of both, repression. Uh, yes, yeah, lack of repression. And they're both a bit right and they're both a lot wrong. Um, <laughs> yes. But that, that mutual uh, fascination which began in the days of the grand tours of the British aristocracy in the in the 18th century and long before um, that persists. And on a summer's day in London, you hear more people speaking Italian than English. It's their ultimate country in the same way that Italy is the ultimate country for Brits. Truly fascinating. And both of those are based on quite serious misunderstandings. <laughs> so uh, in the middle of this reputation for Italy, you have its... Uh, relevance to the world as host country of the headquarters of the Catholic Church. Uh, Rome is um, home to the Vatican. Yeah. Where does this figure? And uh, to what extent do you think Italy is still uh, colored by its 
identity as or, or its links to Catholicism? Well, I think it, this this is a particular case where the um, religious component of the country and people's perceptions of it is is inextricable uh, from the broader cultural perspective. Um, and uh, if you have conversations with non-Italians about Italy and Italian religion and the Vatican um, and uh, Catholicism, uh, you 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 find that it, it blurs into their admiration for the country's culture, and rightly so, because it has been the principal driver of Italy's cultural extraordinary cultural output, um, certainly since the since the Renaissance. Um, so, it's uh, Catholicism is not by most people around the world considered to be a political religion in the sense that it that it's one that has um, hard views on how societies should operate and that it's determined to impose on others. Um, it's considered in that respect to be um, a relatively unthreatening religion, if <laughs> such a thing can be said to exist. <laughs> and um, do, you, do you see that as, as re- remaining stable or is Italy increasingly perceived as secular? Well, it increasingly is secular. Whether that's perceived or not, I don't know. I think the assumption within Europe is that um, most uh, countries and most people in the West um, uh, are becoming gradually more secular and less religious. But I don't know. I don't have the the data on that. Um, But but speaking of research um, and research that I do have um, from the Good Country Index suggests that actually um, Italy... uh, is actually um, better for the world than people tend to assume. The assumption, as we said before, is that Italy is highly decorative. People feel glad that it exists because it's so nice and they want to believe that they're still in Italy because of the beauty and the lifestyle and the culture and the people and the cuisine and all the rest of it. But um, surprisingly, it does look from the Good Country Index as if Italy actually deserves to have a somewhat better um, image in some of those areas than you would imagine. Um, it is falling gradually in the Good Country Index. In in the um, edition 1.1, it ranked overall 18th, which is a very high number um, out of 160-odd countries. Um, it was 16th in 1.2, but then it gra- gradually began to fall. In 1.3, it went to 19th. In 1.4, it went to 24th. And in the most recent edition, uh, 1.5, it was uh, at 24th again. So that's not a big drop, but it does start to look like a like a trend. Nonetheless, um, there are all kinds of reasons why that might be happening. Um, generally speaking, these factors are partially economic. And if a country is, for example, hit very badly by the pandemic, as Italy was, um, it's, if it's hit very badly by um, the uh, the fallout from the Ukraine war, as Italy is and will be, um, that might have a, have an impact. But I think the striking thing there is the fact that, um, you know, you might expect a country with a wonderful soft image not to live up to the reality in terms of what it actually contributes to the world, but Italy does. We ought to feel glad that Italy exists for more reasons than that, just that it's lovely to look at. Though, so, you know, going into the good country, uh, findings. Uh, there are a couple of areas where you'd expect Italy to be uh, in the top two or three, and um, we we find that it isn't. 
and yeah. some other areas where it's really underachieving. So where I'd expect it to have done better is in the area of culture, yeah. um, where its reputation, it, it, it has the, the strongest reputation of any country in the cultural field. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at what it's doing uh, to support um, global uh, security issues, yeah. uh, it seems to be under underachieving. It's sort of in yeah. the 60s, yeah. I think. For, yeah, 64. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the point about uh, culture is that uh, th this is about what we're actually measuring here. Um, and, and I remind people of this frequently. Um, we're not measuring how much culture Italy has, um, nor are we measuring or attempting to measure the, the uh, influence or the impact of its culture um, historically uh, over the eons. All we're doing, all we're measuring here is how effectively Right now, at this point in time, a snapshot uh, is Italy sharing its the culture that it has widely and internationally. And so for a country with such enormous cultural heritage, um, it's perhaps a little lazy in the sense that it only ranks 25th out of 169 countries. But that remember, that's not how much culture it's got or how good its culture is. That's how energetic it is in going out and sharing its culture with others. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing we're measuring there um, than culture. Um, the one that surprised me, on the other hand, was science and technology, because I know of Italy as being an enormous uh, force in international science and technology. Um, it's something that I'm sure you've noticed as well. Whenever there's a major discovery anywhere in the world, you look at the authors of the paper, and one or two of them are invariably Italian, not um, uh, descendants of Italians living in America, but first generation Italians who sadly, and this is a whole other conversation, have gone to live very often in North America in order to pursue their careers. So science education, technology education in Italy is, um, is a leading strength of the country. And I'm a little surprised, um, it must be a quirk of the measurement, that Italy only ranks 37th in its contribution to science and technology because its contribution is absolutely huge. And it may be an, um, an unexpected consequence of the brain drain that many Italian mm. scientists leave Italy and not so very many are coming back again. Yes, no, that, I think that is, uh, that is very striking. Um, and, you know, there are so many, well, I think people like uh, Marconi and uh, Fermi and... Um, other Italians on whom, absolutely, on whom the 20, 20th century really um, uh, rested on their technologies. Um, and, uh, and I think this, um, uh, what about international security? Because uh, um, to me, that was, the, that was a, a surprise too. What could Italy do to more effectively support um, uh, that that global uh, security measure. Well, Italy um, has a problem in this uh, category, as do several of its um, European colleagues. Um, for for a start, uh, it has a very large uh, weapons industry, which exports enormous mm -hmm. numbers of um, firearms around the world. Now, of course, being um, an EU member state, and of course, being a modern European nation, 
Um, it's pretty stringent about who those weapons are sold to, but we don't measure that. What we measure is simply the gross value of weapons exports. And Italy is way, way, way above average in that respect. And so it loses a lot of marks there. Um, also in common with its European counterparts, um, it does, of course, as a good European uh, member state, uh, participate in uh, collective military action outside Europe. And the scores, the negative scores for that kind of activity are shared equally amongst all the uh, countries that, that tend to participate. So we saw, for example, um, during the uh, time when um, the um, ISAF force was present in Afghanistan, that um, all of the um, participating countries lost a lot of points there. Um, Italy is pretty good at um, paying its dues to UN peacekeeping operations. So it gains some, some parts there, uh, some points, and it's also pretty good at contributing peacekeeping troops uh, to, to, to UN initiatives. So that's why it's 64th and not, say, 100th. There are other Western European countries which are way down the list um, because they do all of that and more. So Italy's um, middling uh, as a as a European country. That's not to excuse the low ranking, um, but it's uh, it, it's it's not unfamiliar an unfamiliar profile for a Western European country. It strikes me that Italy is able to draw tremendous strength from its regions and its cities, and um, e even if the um, the national government has. Um, uh, you know, draws international skepticism. There's yeah. tremendous admiration for Italy's uh, Italy's cities, both as as uh, destinations and as um, uh, partners. Yeah. And um, you think about uh, you know Mil Milan uh, has has a tremendous reputation as a um, uh, you know business hub. Um, how else are the cities f functioning? Um, well, uh, as we've been saying all along with Italy, they have the advantage of having been at it for a very long time. Um, right. And and almost all of the modern Italian cities have their roots in the medieval city-states or, or longer. Um, and so have had centuries to build their wealth, their prosperity, their trade links, their cultural links with the rest of the world. They're profoundly associated with um, the artists, mostly Catholic, uh, who come from those cities and who embellish those cities. And I've written often in the past about the particular relationships of mutual love and trust between the Italian city-states and their wealthy or gifted sons and daughters and how generally benign that relationship is compared to the modern relationship that we find between uh, citizens and their cities, which is broadly speaking a relationship of prostitution. Um, we live in a city, we throw a handful of money at the administration, we say, sort it, and I don't want to hear from you, um, but I'll sue you if something goes wrong. Um, and that that's pathological. That's not a, that's not a good reason. Ouch! Yeah. That's, uh, um, whereas you look at so the relationship... Maybe, maybe then the Italian city is a model for mm. um, how, how we, uh, we move forward. Um, and, and you've and the Italian city-state for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. There's a lot we can learn from that. I mean, uh, one only has to read the diaries of, of, for example, Lorenzo de' Medici to hear him rhapsodizing about Florence. Okay, <laughs> to call 
uh, Lorenzo de' Medici, a citizen of Florence, is a bit absurd. He pretty much the proprietor of Florence, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, the way that he and many, many others spoke about Florence, this deep love, which somehow isn't tainted with the same brutality as nationalism is. Love of your country is love of its army and love of its all kinds of other unhealthy things like that. Love of your city is a little um, a little more benign, I feel. And we could learn a great, a great deal from that. But the regions also are worth mentioning. I think Italy, um, along with maybe France, um, is probably the only country other than the United States that has regions which are more famous than most countries. So in the same way that America has California and Texas because it's been boosting and promoting the image of those states for, for hundreds of years. So uh, Tuscany, uh, Umbria, Sicily, Sardinia, the islands, and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. those are particularly Tuscany. Uh, they are more famous than, than perhaps half the countries on earth. And that's a region. Now, France has the same thing, but that's only because they're so strongly associated with uh, regional products that carry the same name. So everybody's heard of Champagne, that's not because they know it's a region, that's because they've heard of the drink, um, and, uh, and Bourgogne and Bordeaux and likewise. But in Italy, it's not any one thing. Um, it's, it's a complete regional image. Tuscany, we have a picture in our mind of the rolling hills and the cypress trees, um, the architecture, the cities, the città d'arte, as the Italians call them, the cities of art, and so on and so forth. So that's a remarkable thing. And very unusual because most people don't care about regions. It's just one too many thing for them to worry about. So to round this off, what would you suggest that Italians do to um, close the gap, to, to, to uh, you know, uh, secure their reputation going forward? Um, how, ca how can a policy uh, help Bring uh, bring sort of security to Italy to Italy's reputation. I, th I think that's exactly the right question, and and I did some work for the for the region of Tuscany a few years ago, and that was exactly the question that was put to me by Enrico Rossi, who was then the president of the region. He said, "I don't care about improving our reputation because it's probably better than we deserve today. How can we continue to deserve it in the future?" And I think that that's the right question. Because there's no doubt whatsoever that Italy exercises enormous soft power, um, as our friend Joe Nye would put it. Um, and the question is not how do you improve on that, but what do you do with it? How do you wield it for the benefit of your own people and the whole of humanity? And also, yeah, how do you keep earning it? Because, as I yeah. often say, you don't own it, you only rent it and you have to pay the rent. So, so what what the Italian government and people and business sector and cities and regions should be thinking about today is projecting uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years into the future and saying, how are we stoking, how are we refilling um, the image of Italy? Otherwise, we might find ourselves going out of fashion. There's a yes. tendency amongst um, uh, government uh, uh, officials in Italy to assume that the reputation of the country is God-given and that they yes. will never have to do without it, and they don't need to do anything to preserve it. But you only have to see how um, countries like, for example, uh, Croatia, have taken a chunk out of Italy's tourism industry to realize that the dangers of falling behind are everywhere. Um, yes. But the answer doesn't come from competing more harshly or pulling ahead. The answer comes from working together. 
Right. No, that's right. And I think this is, in, in, in a way, um, how you uh, uh, build on soft power to create what, I, what I'm calling reputational security, the policy decisions you make to make sure that that soft power is uh, continued, continued into, the, uh, into the future. And by the way, you asked a very interesting question a few minutes ago about comparator countries, and we went off on a tangent about Japan. But we could spend a whole other hour looking at the other comparators uh, to Italy, and it would be very revealing indeed. And perhaps one of the most revealing ones of all is Turkey. Um, that's a very, very interesting analogy uh, for Italy. But we'll leave it there. Well, that's a subject for another day. Thanks so much for listening. I'm still Nick Cull. And I'm still Simon Anhalt.